Well, good morning, church. Good morning, guests. So glad that you guys are here with us today. Good morning uh, to all of you online watching live. We're glad that you guys are with us right now. And yes, got back from Indonesia just over a week ago. It was an amazing trip, very surreal, very impactful to be able to go with the team. Uh, we had a great team, um, really had a, a great time of ministry. So thanks for your prayers. Thanks for your encouragement. Uh, brought back a little bit of Indonesian flavor, you know, to wear uh, for the morning. And in fact, if you're watching T&K from Indonesia, this is for you guys. Um, we're we're uh, glad to be back. And it was a phenomenal time of ministry. Even that song just, just took me back to a memory uh, during that trip. And we were at a village on the beach and there's these things called barugas, and they're just elevated bamboo platforms that are covered. It's kind of like their version of living rooms everywhere, all over the island. And, and we were hanging out on a baruga with a ukulele, of all things, and uh, one of our leaders, T, and one of uh, my team members, uh, Julia, and we ended up singing that song and, and just singing about the freedom that Christ brought. And we were surrounded by four or five young, um, a, a teenager and young adult Muslim men. And we had afterwards a chance to just say, these are what these lyrics mean to us. And just continue to plant seeds for the gospel and share the freedom that we have in Christ. And so that was a beautiful memory. But I do want to tell you a little bit more about the young man uh, that Pastor Joe was mentioning earlier. And by the way, just to make it clear, I did not forget a Bible. Okay, uh, there was a Bible in the van and it drove off and then when I wanted it, it wasn't there. So I just want you to think I wasn't that absent-minded in that moment. But anyways, um, God uses everything. It was so cool to see how that came together. But um, I want to tell you a little bit more about that young man that uh, Pastor Joe was talking about. Uh, I'm going to call him Reese today. That's not his name. I can't share his name. Uh, but this is a picture. I didn't know this. But at the time, one of our team members uh, saw this conversation happening. I was actually sharing about Christ here in this conversation with Reese. And the translator has her back turned. I was talking to the translator. And then that's Reese's uh, wife and little daughter that were there. And we were having a great spiritual conversation, pretty lengthy. And in that conversation... One of the things we started talking about and agreed upon was just the sinfulness of man, that we choose wrong, right? And that we're, we're kind of rebels at heart and that man has a sin issue. And so we were talking about that and agreeing about that. And then I asked him, what is he relying on to pay for his sins, for forgiveness of sins? And as a young Muslim man, he basically said, um, I'm counting on saying my prayers and doing good things, and practicing my faith, and with all that together, I'm just going to hope for the best. Just hope for the best. So basically, I'm going to do all these religious activities, all these spiritual things. I really have no certainty at all, and I'm just going to hope for the best when I stand before God. And, you know, in that moment, I could tell he had an answer to the question, but I could sense in his spirit I could hear it in his voice. I could see it on his face. He had no certainty. There was uncertainty there. There was insecurity there. And there was a restlessness there in his spirit, even though he shared that answer. And some of you are struggling with those same feelings. You've got restlessness. You've got insecurities. You've got uncertainties in your life. And those feelings are in us because of our sin nature. Because of our internal default to choose sinfulness, to choose um, wickedness, to choose selfishness in the sight of God. So what's the solution? Well, it's a spiritual issue, so there has to be a spiritual answer. And that's a lot of times where we go wrong because we usually try to resolve spiritual issues through human efforts. You can't resolve spiritual issues through human efforts in the flesh, 
trusting in what man can do rather than what God has already done. And that's the truth of the gospel. And so when it comes to forgiveness of sin, when it comes to salvation of our souls, some of you are still trying to work for it through good behavior, through religious practices, and hoping for the best. And there are other times when you are misreading your internal needs, and you're trying to fill your felt needs with the worldly offerings. You're chasing after wealth. You're chasing after possessions. You're chasing after pleasure. You're chasing after achievements only to experience a short-term satisfaction when you get some of those and then quickly lose it, which then leads you on a deeper chase into those very things that don't satisfy. Hopefully all of us have had or will have a moment of clarity when we realize there's got to be something else that ultimately fulfills and satisfies and appeases that restlessness and that uncertainty and those insecurities. And the core issue in your heart that's related to all those things is a need for intimacy with God, forgiveness from God. It's a longing to be relationally and positionally made right with God. And there's a longing inside of us to be filled and directed by his very spirit. But instead, we're chasing after all these other means to try to fill that need inside of us. And so that's at the root of our uncertainties, our insecurities, and our uh, restlessness. Now, praise God that he's already provided the answer to all of these needs in our life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus Christ, we've been liberated from the grip of sin, and we can walk in the Holy Spirit. That's what God has made available to us. But this spiritual liberation only happens one way. Sola fide. It's a Latin phrase, which means faith alone. All this can only be resolved through faith alone. And it's through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are made relationally and positionally right with God. And this issue is centuries old. Like you look back at the history of mankind and how we've constantly tried to meet these needs on our own. And so as we've been uh, this summer going through the book of Galatians, we see how even God is using his servant, the apostle Paul, to tackle some of these issues taking place with some early Christians in the early church in a region known as Galatia, modern Turkey. And Paul (coughs) had shared the gospel, which means good news, with the Galatians. The forgiveness and forgiveness of sins uh, comes through faith alone in Christ alone and faith in his death on the cross as a substitutionary uh, sacrifice for our sins, faith in the resurrection of Jesus that he rose from the grave back to life. And what had happened was the Galatians knew this, but some spiritual thinkers, religious leaders came in and started swaying them away from that understanding. These people were called Judaizers. They said, no, 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 no. It's not about Jesus alone. It's not Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus something. And they said the something was law or works, specifically the Jewish law, that they had to practice certain dietary um, principles, uh, worship on certain days, certain practices, circumcision, all of these things. He says, you need to do all these things, and then you'll be good. And so God was using the Apostle Paul to call them back 
to faith alone. Back to sola fide. And so with that little on-ramp, let's jump back into Galatians today. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3 or fire up your Bible apps on your devices if you use those to Galatians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we put the words on the screen for you today and we'd love to give you a Bible so that you have your own. Just stop by the information center on the way out and get a free Bible. And so we're going to find ourselves in Galatians chapter 3 today looking at the first 14 verses. I'm going to read these in a second. And as I do, I want to invite you to say out loud with me the word faith every time we see it, because that's really the emphasis we see here through this passage. That's faith alone. It's sola fide. And so let's look at Galatians 3, starting with verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. How would you like that to be a start of a letter for you, by the way? Hey, what's up, fool? (laughs) Okay. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and that the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be foolish. Lord, we don't want to act like we've been under a spell or someone has led us away from truth. We know that Jesus has been crucified. We know that Jesus died for our sin and rose from the grave. Lord, we don't want to drift back into works trying to use human effort to fix a spiritual issue. Lord, we don't want to depend on law. We don't want to be that foolish. So Lord, help us not to depend on ourselves, but to depend on you. Not to try to accomplish something that we need to do, but rest in something that you've already done. And so thank you for the words that you've given us today. Thank you that you've given us the gospel. Thank you that you've given us the capacity and the ability to have faith. That's, that's even something we don't bring, but that you gave us. And so, Lord, all this points back to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today that as we spend this time in your word, that you would refresh their appreciation for the gospel and for salvation, for faith that they have in Christ. And Lord, for anyone here watching online that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, would you draw them to themselves? Would you expose today that they have been depending on themselves, Lord, instead of you for forgiveness of sins, for trying to live holy? And God, would you allow them to cross that bridge today of doubt to faith? 
from disbelief to belief, from condemned to saved, Lord. And so we lay all these things before your feet and ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together, amen. So as we get ready to explore this passage a little more closely, I wanna really clarify a few terms that we've seen and will continue to see so we know we're thinking and seeing the same language. The first one is gonna be the word justification or justify. This is God's gracious act in which he declares a repentant sinner to be righteous. When you hear this word, I want you to think being made right with God. Relationally, positionally, being made right with God. The other is the word faith. This is belief with such confidence and certainty that commitment and trust are demonstrated without dependence on the senses. This word is mentioned nine times in this passage. And so when you hear this word, think believing and receiving. Believing and receiving. Also, you see the word law. And we're not talking about the speed limit outside. You know what I'm saying? The word law here is a reference to what we would see as the Mosaic law or the Torah. These are hundreds of laws that God had given the Jewish people in the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments. These were moral, social, worship-based laws that they had to really live out as unique people. And so when you hear the word law, think doing and earning. And then there's the word spirit. And of course, it's capitalized, which means this is the Holy Spirit of God. This is the third person in the triune nature of God, the one who is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. So when you hear the Spirit, think God's presence dwelling in a believer of Christ. So now that we're all teed up, we get to move into this passage, and we see that God had moved the Apostle Paul to such a level of concern that he comes out of the gate with this really uh, t- this tone of correction. And when you read through the letters that God had the Apostle Paul write to churches, a lot of times you see the greetings are very warm. It's my dear brothers, and you know, there's all this like warm family language. Here he's like, oh, foolish Galatians. And he's like, he's like, the gloves are off here at this point, okay? And when you really study the strength of this language, it's really like he's saying this. Hey, Galatians, I love you guys, but you're being idiots. This is really what he's saying. He's saying, like, you know the right stuff, but you're not acting upon it. Because he saw them, they had the full knowledge of the gospel, but they weren't acting upon it. Have you ever had the full knowledge of something, but you didn't utilize it, right? And so this is what's taking place here. He's going, Galatians, what are you doing? Like, you guys are being idiots here. I love you guys, but like, what's going on with you? There's a disconnect from what you know to what you're starting to live out. And so uh, they had this full knowledge, but they were not being what we called a few weeks ago, gospel wise. They were being carried away by false teaching. They were being spiritually uh, illiterate at this point and spiritually illogical and their thinking had been clouded. And so we see here where as we digest these verses, Paul's bringing the Galatians back to sola fide. He's bringing them back to faith alone. And when we come to Christ in faith alone, there's two major results that we see in this passage. Uh, one is the salvation of our souls. We receive salvation through faith. Paul references God's means for salvation right in that first verse of 13. Look again at verse 1. He says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, these were believers, you know, first going on second century in modern-day Turkey. They weren't there at the crucifixion of Jesus in Jerusalem. So what does he mean, you know, Christ was portrayed as crucified right before your eyes? He's not saying they were there. He's saying that 
he had so vividly, so clearly laid out how the crucifixion happened, why the crucifixion happened, and the outcome of the crucifixion that is like Christ was publicly portrayed, crucified before their eyes. They got it. We're in the same boat, right? None of us were there in Jerusalem on the day of, you know, there's no Instagram picture of us with the crucifixion going on, right? Because we weren't there. But we have had laid out for us so clearly what happened at the crucifixion, why Jesus died, and the outcome of that death. And so really what was said of them can be also said of us, that Jesus Christ has been, you know, his, his crucifixion has been portrayed to us so vividly that we get it. We understand it in our minds. We, we believe it in our hearts. Also, what we see take place is Paul then leads them on a series of rhetorical questions trying to expose the foolishness he's talking about. And he's basically saying that salvation and the Holy Spirit are going to be a result of hearing and then believing, not doing and earning. You know, Pastor Josh shared that with us a couple weeks ago, that salvation is received, not achieved. Can you just repeat that with me so I know you got it? Salvation is received, not achieved. We don't work our way to salvation. We don't work our way to forgiveness. It's just something God offers us through Christ that then we can receive, like any other gift that we receive in life. And so one of the reasons that Christianity is unique is it's the only faith that teaches this. Every other religious faith out there is dependent on works. You've got to do these things. You've got to practice these practices. You have to make sure that you show up here and do this and do that and pray this prayer and do this thing and own that thing and carry out these practices and then hope for the best. But with Christ, he's like, no, I did all the heavy lifting. I did all the hard work. All you got to do is believe in me. You hear about me, you believe and receive. That's what's unique about Christianity. And so uh, salvation happens through that means. Now, I want to zoom in on verse 3 because he really brings it home here in verse 3. He says this, Are you so foolish? Now, remember, he's speaking rhetorically here. So you know what he's saying to them, right? He says, Are you so foolish? Yes, you are. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He's saying the Holy Spirit of God is what initiated your salvation. It was that invitation, that initiation from God that led you into this relationship. Now, are you trying to carry it on on your own? You know, this trip in Indonesia went really smooth for our team. There was just a couple small, small bumps. One of those small bumps was uh, one day right after lunch, we were, we were um, transporting our team and all the, trans and the translators in two uh, vans, two minivans. And um, we got out, got into the two vans. One van took off. We got into our van. And when we turned the key, no clicky clicky, all right? battery has got to be dead at this point. And so here's the situation. We're on the side of the road, which they drive on the opposite side. So you're already a little bit disoriented. Plus, everyone, all these motorbikes, all these cars, you know, ongoing. And we're stuck in this van. And so the driver's calling the other van, getting ready to, like, come. You need to maybe jumpstart us or bring a battery. And I'm like, let's just get out and push this thing. Let's just push start this thing. And we're like, yeah, let's do that. So we pile out of the van, and we get behind it, which is kind of like a modern-day game of Frogger, right? There's all these cars and motor scooters are everywhere. And we start pushing this van that's dead, and the driver pops into gear, boom, comes to life. We're like, yes. It's a great story, and I'm so glad we didn't have to mess with that again. The problem is, this is what some of you are doing with your relationship with God. You believe that God has jump-started your relationship with him, and then it's up to you to drive it from there. God initiates it, he jumpstarts it, and then, oh, thanks God, I got it. That's not the case. God didn't jumpstart it and go, hey, like, hey, check in with me if you ever need me. 
you know? Our, our relationship with him, our salvation, our you know, justification, sanctification, all those fancy theological terms, all of that is God completely. We just get in and get to enjoy the ride. And so you don't want to find yourself, and this is, this is, this is what God's, or, uh, Paul's saying. It's like Galatians, like you got jump-started by the Holy Spirit, now you're trying to drive. What are you doing? You're trying to drive in the flesh. And we look at them and go, like, that's a bonehead thing to do. And then we look in the mirror and we go, we're doing the same thing a lot of times, right? That we're trying to drive what God has started. So are you trying to add to what God has done? Are you making efforts to perfect that which is already perfect? Uh, there's, there's ways we do this. For example, here, here's how this plays out in our life. One way we try to do this is uh, God starts to move in our heart. And we start to have interest in the Lord and we have interest in spiritual things and the Bible and God and Jesus. And maybe some of you are there right now, whether you're online or right here, you're like, hey, I'm not ready to like follow Christ yet, but I'm very curious. I'm just exploring. And we're so glad you're here. You know, this is where you can learn and grow and ask questions and you're so welcome here. And so um, some of you think, okay, I want to get to God. But then what happens is we tell ourselves, okay, I want to get to Christ maybe at some point, but I've got to clean myself up first. I've got to like work on myself and I've got to get ready. And then when I'm ready and I'm like clean enough, then I'll come to Christ. And that's just such a foolish mindset. And guess what that is? That's works. I'm going to work myself to this magical, mysterious place of readiness and then I'll be ready for God. And God's like, you just come to me like the mess you are because I'm the only one that can clean you up, right? And so that's works. Or we do the opposite. Sometimes we come to Christ, and we're like, oh, I'm so glad that Jesus is in my life. I can't wait to follow Christ. And then we start to try to add our works into the mix. And that's you if, like, you profess faith in Christ, but yet you still think and believe and say things like this. If I behave good, then God will love me more. If I do the right things, then I'll be more acceptable to God. Guess what that is? It's works. You're trying to perfect what's already perfect. And this is what we see being unfolded here. That's works. It's trying to add. Uh, I want to tell you what the Greek word is here in this passage where he says, uh, are you trying to be made perfect? It's the word uh, epitaleo. It means to accomplish. It means to fulfill or to perfect. It's also the root of that word is seen in one other place in scripture. Uh, there's probably a couple of them, but one specific place. This is John 19:28. When Jesus on the cross, as he was dying for our sins, said, it is finished. When he says it is finished, he says it's teleo. It's accomplished. It's fulfilled. It's been perfected. So if Jesus says it is finished, we don't come along and go like, well, what Jesus meant was it's kind of finished. It's, it's almost finished. It's mostly finished. It's finished. So we get to live and walk in the completed act of what Christ did. We don't try to add to it. Yes, that's what we try to do when we subscribe to this works. And so when you think about your life, where might you be being foolish in this area? Where are you trying to add to your life to try to complete yourself? I mean, are feelings of restlessness and uncertainty and an insecurity leading you to try to earn God's favor through works? or through religious activity. Or maybe a works mindset has even led you to feel like you need to earn more, achieve more, accomplish more to be who God wants you to be. If I just get that house, if I just get that car, if I just get that child, if I just get this accomplishment, then I'll be who God wants me to be. That's what he started in the spirit, now up to you to perfect in the flesh. We can't add to the perfection that Christ offers us 
through faith alone in him. And so we don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in the law for salvation or spiritual maturity. We trust in the Lord through faith, sola fide, faith alone. Just like Pastor Rick said last week, when we try to achieve salvation through any other means than faith in Christ's death and resurrection, we act and believe that his death was needless. So we can't add to what God's doing. We just receive salvation. Uh, David Platt, some of you know him. He's a pastor, author. He's currently the president of the International Missions Board. He said this. He says, when we turn to Christ in faith, our old sinful selves are completely burned away by his sacrifice. We die to ourselves and to our every attempt to earn God's favor according to our own merit. We are justified by what? Faith alone. And we live by what? Faith alone. It's faith alone. Now, we know that faith and works aren't divorced, though. They're, they are related. But we keep coming back to, you've heard this so many times from the teaching of, of this church for, for decades, you know, the works that come from our life, the, the doing good, if you will, that's because of our faith. It's a demonstration of our faith. It's not because we need salvation, it's because we have salvation. It's not to get faith, it's because we have faith. And so Paul is wanting to make sure that the Galatians get that. And so he knows that these Judaizers are critics who said, hey, Jesus is great, we've got to have Jesus, but you also have to have these things. He also knows that there's this deep Jewish influence in the teaching at the time, and so he reaches for the top shelf and says, let me give you an example of not needing law and works to be made right with God. He goes, let's talk about Abraham. Every Jew knows about Abraham, right? Abraham's the father of the Hebrew nation. God took Abraham and gave him spiritual offspring, every believer that's going to come to Christ, and he gave him physical offspring, the Jews, the Hebrews. And so he says, let's look at Abraham. Abraham was made right with God, and he didn't do it through law, right? Look again at verse 6 with me. Look what he says. He says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham believed in God and was made right with God. How? Why? Was it through the law? And he's going, no, because the Mosaic law came about 430 years after Abraham. So Abraham wasn't trying to practice the Ten Commandments. They came over 430 years later. So how could he be made right with God? Because he believed in God. Not, actually, not just believing God, more, more accurately and specifically, he believed God because God showed up to an elderly Abraham and an elderly Sarah, his wife, and said, look, I know you don't have kids, but I'm going to make you a father of nations. I'm going to give you a multitude of children. And they're looking at each other going, <laughs> how's that going to happen, right? But Abraham's heart trusted. He had faith, that confidence belief, and he received what he heard. He believed God at his word. And I just want to say, there is such a distinction between believing in God and believing God. It doesn't say, and Abraham believed in God. We know that a lot of people are walking around, maybe some of you, I hope not, walking around going, hey, I believe in God, that means I'm good. If I believe in God, I have a faith that there's a God out there, that I'm good. Hey, the devil believes there's a God. Demons believe there's a God. There's millions of people out there believing that there is a God. That's not what happened for Abraham. It says that he believed God. God revealed his plan. Abraham heard the plan. He trusted it and believed God. And we're no different. Do we believe what God has said? See, God has put everything we need to know right here. This is God's word. 
He says, I'm going to package up everything you need to know, how I want you to live, what, what you need for faith and belief. I'm going to make it really easy for you. I'm going to give it to you. Now, do you believe me? And the, and the reality is, if you don't believe this, you don't believe God. Or if you only believe like, you know, 80%, you don't believe God. I mean, can you imagine sitting with a friend or a family member and you're telling them something and they go, hmm, I think I believe about 80% of what you're saying. You go, what? You don't believe me. So when we look at the Bible, we're like, well, you know, I like some of it, don't like some of it, believe some of it, don't believe some of it. Look, do you believe what God has said? Abraham rested fully and took God at his word and had faith. Do we rest fully in what God has said and take him at his word? This is what we see with Abraham. And it says here in verse seven, look at verse seven. It says, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Sure, the Jewish people can point to Abraham as a physical descendant, but he's saying all the spiritual descendants are those who've taken the same venture of journey, the same uh, venture of faith that Abraham took by just trusting God at his word. And then in verse eight, it gets even more beautiful and complex. It says that the scriptures said that God would justify, make right, all the Gentiles by faith, all the non-Jews. So you and I are made right with God through faith, not through works, not through law, but through faith. And it says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. It's so interesting. When we hear the word gospel, we oftentimes think this is a New Testament concept. It's only you know, something that comes online with the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus. The gospel has been preached since creation. If you don't think so, then start to look at all these moments in Scripture. I mean, just take one in Genesis from the very first book of the Bible. When, when after the fall, and God is dishing out the consequences of the fall, he says to the serpent that the woman's offspring, you're going to strike their heel, but the woman's offspring is going to crush your head. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the one who's going to come to crush the head of Satan. This is the gospel being preached in Genesis. And then you look at Abraham, you look at Moses, you look at Noah, you look at David, you look at Solomon, you look at the Psalms, you look at the major prophets, you look at the minor prophets. Guess what? Gospel glimpse, gospel glimpse, glimpse of the gospel, glimpse of the gospel. Oh, there's Jesus. Oh, he's there too. Over and over and over and over again, all through the Bible, you see the gospel. It was preached long before Jesus was even born. Who could do that? Only God especially when you look at the complexity and beauty of how the Bible was put together. Like it's an impossibility. And so the gospel was preached long before Jesus was even born. Abraham heard the gospel, that by faith people would be made right with God. And so we celebrate that. In an ever-changing world, God has provided humanity with a never-changing gospel. It's faith alone. It's sola fide, faith alone in Christ alone. I want to look again at verses 10 to 13 with you for a second here. Look at these. It says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Lock that in because we're going to come back to that. Now it's evident that no one is justified, made right with God, before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, "Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Faith and law describe two different roads. Faith promises life to the believer. Law promises uh, life to the doer. Faith, says belief is the way of salvation. Law says works is the way to salvation. 
And if you try to earn salvation, this is what these verses are saying, if you try to earn salvation through the law, then you have to live the law without one failure. Moral perfection. 10 out of 10. How many of you can look back over the last 24, 48, 72 hours of your life and go, nailed it, moral perfection. Not one mistake, not one bad thought. It's all good. None of us. Law is God's way, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. Law was God's way of saying you can't keep the law. You need something bigger and better than the law. For now, I'm going to give you the law, but I got something better coming. And so we can't keep the law. It's impossible. And so Scripture says that anyone who tries to keep the whole law is cursed. And the inevitable result of trying to get right with God through the law is a curse upon the one attempting to do so. And then it says Christ has redeemed us from that curse by becoming the curse for us on the cross. That's the beauty of the crucifixion. That's why we know he pleads our cause. So he's saying that, right? He rights our wrongs. He breaks our chains. He overcame sin and death. He gave his life to give us ours. Christ became the curse on our behalf. So all we need to do is have faith alone. Now you know why we wanted you to memorize Galatians 2.16a. Look at that verse again. It says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Like lock that in. There's more to that verse. It says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. This is truly good news. This is the gospel. John Stott was a Bible scholar and world leader in Christian evangelism and missions. He said, the gospel is not good advice to men, but good news about Christ. It's not an invitation to us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has done. It's not a demand, but an offer. I hope all of you have clearly come to understanding of what we just talked about, that you have nothing to bring to the table that God would say, oh, now, now you've earned salvation. Now, now you've been good enough now. Where's the line that, like, you're just one good work away? Like, you know, there's no line. It's all about what Christ did. And so Galatians were foolish. They were going back to thinking they had to work their way. Let's not make the same mistake. So we receive salvation through faith alone and Christ alone, but that's not the only result. We see here, too, that we receive God's Spirit. We receive God's Spirit. Look again at some of the glimpses of the Holy Spirit in these passages. Uh, Did you pick up on these references? Look at verse 2. We receive the Spirit when we hear through faith. Verse 3, our spiritual life begins with the Spirit. Verse 4, the Lord supplies His Spirit when we hear with faith. And then there's a special emphasis on verse 3, or uh, verse 14 of chapter 3. It says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's all non-Jews, so that we might receive the promised what? Spirit through faith. And so hearing is not just the way we start the Christian faith, through, through, in believing, it's also the way we live the Christian faith. Faith every day. So everybody who's justified receives the Spirit. Everybody who's received the Spirit has been justified before the eyes of God. And then we receive the Spirit. And when we receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our teacher. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our convictor. And He lives in us. So not only do believers get forgiveness of sin, They get the presence of God inside of them, guiding, leading, counseling, directing, convicting. So it's clear here that God's Holy Spirit is not the result of good works. It's also in sola fide, faith alone, which brings the Holy Spirit to us. And so he's asking the Galatians, 
Guys, you don't think the Holy Spirit came because you did something to get him, right? It's because you had faith. And then he came into your life. This is so important. Because we could make the mistake of embracing salvation by faith alone. Yet trying to live this life in flesh alone. We don't want to make that mistake. We've got to live in Christ alone as the Holy Spirit lives in us. So it's, it's a very clear understanding. So Christ loved you enough to die for you 2,000 years ago. Christ loves you enough to live in you today. And that's the power we have to live the life that Christ has. I want to bring that illustration home um, to, to a deeper understanding because I think uh, we can easily walk out of here still feeling like, well, I got to do something, I got to do something instead of just resting in what God has done. So let's go back to the trip to Indonesia. What if instead of flying, I decided I want to take the route with water? I want to get to Indonesia through water. Well, it's over 10,000 miles from the coast of New York, where you know, we would leave, to the capital of Indonesia, which is Jakarta, over 10,000 miles. What if I said, I'm going to go, go to Jakarta, but I'm going to swim there? How does that sound? I'm going to swim. And you're thinking, have fun with that, okay? And I start to hear you go, yeah, yeah, swimming might not make sense. So I tell you, what, I'm just going to get a boat with a good engine, a couple gas cans of gas, and I'll head out. How far am I going to make it? I'm not going to get there very far, right? But what if instead I decided to sail? Well, it'll take a while, no doubt, but you know what? What would I bring to that journey as far as propulsion? Nothing. If I'm swimming, if I'm kicking, if I'm doing all that stuff, I'm relying on my strength. If I'm using a boat, I'm relying on human ingenuity or a human construct to get there. But basically, if I'm just relying on a sail, then it's the wind that will get me there eventually. What's our responsibility when sailing? Catch the wind and be propelled by the wind. See, living in faith is the same way. When we try to work our way to heaven, work our way to God, it's like we're swimming. And if you think from New York to Jakarta's far, try to swim the distance between man and God, between holy and sinful. How are you going to swim that? We can't, but we still try. If, I just, if I'm just good enough, if I just do the church thing, I'll hope for the best. Or we, well, if you say these prayers, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, people tell us, if you, if you use this boat, if you use this motor, you'll get there. And eventually we get out in the water like, this isn't, this isn't working. But if we raise the sail of faith, then we catch the Holy Spirit who we receive when we come to Christ in faith, and the Spirit carries us. The Greek word for the word spirit here, by the way, is the word pneuma. Guess what pneuma means? Wind. A gust of wind. And so our responsibility to, to live in faith, act in faith, is not to like grit it out, do more, try harder. It's like, okay, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unfold this sail of faith and catch your spirit that you're offering me, and then I'm going to move. We move when the Holy Spirit comes into our life. We move from lost to found. We move from condemned to saved. We move from broken to healed. And on and on and on. That's the work of the Spirit. We can't do that. We don't have the ability or power to do any of those things. So some of you are thinking, this is great. How do I raise the sail? Now, here's the thing. Obviously, some effort's required. Uh, I'm not a sailor. There's been a, t a few times I've been on sailboats with people who know what they're doing. I've never seen a guy who knows how to sail get on the boat, sit down and go, all right, let's just wait for it. It'll happen. 
And we just sit there, right? No, you, you've got to, you know, unfold the sail. You've got to mess with the rigging. You've got to learn how to steer. There's some effort that you've got to do. But all those things that take place on the boat, what's the purpose? It's preparing you to catch the wind so that you can move. So yes, uh, we have spiritual disciplines, like spending time in God's word, you know, often, daily, if we can, praying, just living with simplicity, living with gratitude, sometimes fasting. All those things are things we can do, but it's not to get forgiven of sins or it's not to like force growth in our life. We do those things to prepare us to let the Holy Spirit do his thing. That's the value of those spiritual disciplines. And so that's how we unfold that sail. We walk in gratitude. We spend time with the Lord. We obey him. We surrender our fears and worries to him. And when we do, guess what the outcome is? It's the fruit of the Spirit, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. And when we let the Spirit carry us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Who doesn't want these in their life? When we don't let the Spirit carry us, guess what? Uncertainty, insecurity, restlessness. Some of you are so restless, so insecure, so uncertain about your life, your future, your eternity, because you haven't received in faith alone what God has to offer you. Or you've received it, but then you're jumping out of the boat trying to swim again. And that's what Paul was saying to the Galatians. What are you doing? Like, you have the sail up, and now you're jumping out of the boat trying to swim. What's wrong with you? And we do the same thing. You know, the Lord's given us all these amazing blessings in Christ, and yet we still try to jump out of the boat and do it on our own. We've got to stop doing that. So where are you trying to swim your way to God? Why are you trying to swim, you know, or use a boat, if you will, a motorboat to get to the Holy Spirit instead of just trusting the Spirit's work in your life? Where are you depending on yourself instead of sola fide, faith alone? Well, there's three outcomes, three application options that I hope will take place today based on what we just talked about. The first is this, celebration. For those of you who are strong in your Christian faith, I hope this moves you to a point of celebration. Out of gratitude, you rejoice for who God is and what he's brought you in your life. Uninhibited praise. This is awesome when believers sing without any inhibitions, worship God without any inhibitions, just uh, speak about God without any inhibitions. That's celebration. And so everything we talked about, receiving salvation, receiving the Holy Spirit through faith alone, that should cause us to celebrate as believers in Christ. Also, it should be in correction. Some of you... Uh, have made the mistake of stopping sailing and you've been trying to swim again. And God had you here to say, would you, would you cut it out? Would you just trust in me and let me carry you? Just faith alone, sola fide, trust me, faith alone and Christ alone. And so you can walk out of here just resting, not all knotted up with anxiety, but just resting in God's faithfulness. I was listening to one of my favorite worship songs on the way in and just one of the lyrics just grabbed me and it says, this is my confidence that you never failed me. This is my confidence. You've never failed me. Sometimes you're like, yeah, well, you didn't give me what I wanted. That, that's not God failing you. God's saying, I'll provide for your needs. I'll take care of you. He's never failed us. And so we need correction in this area to get back to just trusting in God. The other is compassion. Compassion. How do you think I felt when I was talking to Reese? Here I am with a young man. He's been faithful to Islam all his life. Do you think I was sitting there feeling animosity and irritation? Like, oh, it's, oh man, this guy's really bugging me. And there's me and him with the interpreter in between us. And we were talking. And I felt what? Compassion. 
Man, I just want this guy to get it. How great would it be if one day we get to see Reese in heaven? And we're going to be in eternity with that guy. That's what I'm praying for, because God could do that. Nothing's impossible for God. We pray with expectation that that young man and anyone who knows him will be in heaven with us one day. You all know people who don't know Christ. You all know people who are stuck in the system of works. If I just do this, if I just do this, and I avoid this, then I'll just hope for the best. We need to have compassion on those people. We need to be moved to pray for them and love them well and drop truth in their life as God gives us opportunity. Those are the three outcomes I hope we walk out of here today. Let's celebrate. Let's let the correction happen in our life where it needs to happen. And let it move us to a place of compassion as we seek the Lord. Amen? Now let's pray. Father, thank you for today again. Thank you for everyone watching online. This is the moment you had for them. Thank you for everyone who's here in this room. Lord, uh, we're at different places in our journey. So God, thank you for the mature believer in Christ who's walked with you for years. May you have refreshed them today. Give them reason to celebrate. Correct anything in their life. Give them greater compassion for those who don't know you. God, for those who are weak in you, God, I hope that today you strengthen them. God, they're going to get tired trying to swim. They're going to get hurt trying to trust what man has to offer. God, may they abandon those things and just come to you as Savior. And Lord, stir in us a compassion for those who don't know you, for those who need to know about the gospel. And I just want to spend a moment with those of you who hear that you don't have Jesus as Savior. You've never given your life to Christ. And God has made it very clear today that it's time to stop swimming, time to stop trusting yourself and to come to him. I want to invite you to pray with me. And I just, just typed out a little prayer. It's, it's not the words, it's not the prayer, it's just a guide for your heart to help you understand more about what we talked about. But if you don't have Christ in your life yet, would you pray this with me? You can just say, God, you've captured my attention today. I confess that I'm a sinner and that I cannot work my way to you. I know that I can't earn salvation or your spirit, but I can only be made right through faith alone in Christ alone. So right now, I stop trusting in myself. I proclaim my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose from the grave. Right now, I receive your free gift of forgiveness offered through Christ and I dedicate my life to know you, to grow in you, and to serve you. In the name of Jesus. As we stay in this moment of prayer, if you're a follower of Christ, I just want to give you a few seconds. Would you just lift up the names of people maybe God has put on your heart this morning that don't know him? People trapped in the works mindset, just hoping for the best. Would you just take... Take the next seconds and just lift them up in your own heart, your own mind. Just pray for those people. As they're doing that, if you pray this prayer with me today, I want to invite you to do something. I invite you to take out your response card. And on that card, there's a place that says, I receive Christ today. Would you just mark that? In a little bit, there'll be some baskets that come around. Those are our offerings. What an appropriate gift. to Just put that in a basket today saying, I'm giving my life to Christ. My gift is me. 
And so don't leave without doing that. If you've prayed to receive Christ, we'll get in touch with you. Leave some information there that we can get in contact with you and tell you how to grow in your new relationship with Jesus. Father, again, thank you for today. Thanks for who you are, for what you've done. We love you. May you multiply these gifts for the use of your kingdom. And may you use us to glorify you greatly. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together.